Hi ladies, this is Hannah with the Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast. I just wanted to let you know before our regular episode about the Christian podcasting community which Esther and I are a part of. It can be found on the Striving for Eternity website. It's strivingforeternity.org. There are many wonderful podcasts in this community. Podcasts like The Rap Report, Theology Gals, Justin Peters will be doing a podcast on discernment in the future, the Five Solas podcast, and many others. We'd encourage you to go check it out. There will be a link in the show notes, and we hope that you enjoy them. God bless, ladies, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast. My name is Hannah Oliver, and I'm here with my co-host, Esther Faulkner. Esther and I are both particular Baptists who hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. The Blue Stocking Baptist Podcast is an informal podcast for women with intelligent and literary interests related to Christian doctrine and life. Esther and I both have a passion to see unbelievers come to the faith, and so we hope our material will be used for the furtherance of God's kingdom. We also have a passion for equipping women with the tools they need to exercise discernment, and we desire to see more women understand and love the deep theology that is found in God's Word. On today's episode, we are interviewing Regan Rose about an article he wrote called The Wretched Art of Loveless Discernment. Regan Rose is the Director of Digital Platforms at Grace to You. He is also the author of Redeeming Productivity, a blog about how Christians should approach getting things done. Regan earned his Master's of Divinity at the Master's Seminary in 2017. So thank you so much, Regan, for joining us today on the show. Um, just to kind of begin, we'd love to let our listeners learn a little bit about you. So could you start maybe with um, what exactly you do at Grace to You and how long you've had the position that you do there? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate what you ladies are doing. Um, I've listened to several episodes of the podcast and I just love it. It's a it's a needed thing, so appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, uh, so like you said, I'm the director of digital platforms at Grace to You. Basically, that just means I oversee uh, the development, the maintenance, and um, content of all the websites and apps that we have. And so, you know, if people are familiar with uh, Grace to You, it's the ministry of John MacArthur. We have, you know, 50 years of his um, teaching. Uh, that we have been charged with kind of keeping. So we've got nearly 4,000 sermons from over the years. We have daily broadcasts in English and Spanish and a store where you can buy some of the resources like MacArthur Study Bible and other things like that. So basically my role um, is to uh, superintend all the, the digital side of that, the, our web presence. Um, and I'm still pretty green in the role. I just started actually in late January of this year. So I'm, I'm coming oh, wow. up on six months this month. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so would you like to tell us a little bit about your family? Yeah, absolutely. I've been married to my wife, Kimberly, for almost eight years. Um, and we just had a son in February, our first. Uh, his name's Watson Thomas, uh, named after Thomas Watson, my favorite Puritan. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and we have our name. dog, Harvey. <laughs> nice. Very nice. So what do you and your family like to do for fun? Yeah, you know, we, we used to like um, traveling, hiking, um, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. We live on the West Coast. Um, we actually, up until uh, just a few months ago, we lived full-time in an RV uh, for about four years. So we've done a lot of sightseeing and, and, like I said, hiking and all that. But now that Watson's here, we've settled down and we're in a house and we kind of just sit and stare at him. Uh, that's our, our main <laughs> That's awesome. So tell us about your blog, Redeeming Productivity. Why did you start it and what kinds of topics do you write about? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually originally started Redeeming Productivity in 2016 and it was actually had a different name. It was called The Pastor's Week. And uh, basically I've always been interested in productivity, getting stuff done. And and I wanted to uh, provide resources for pastors because it's kind of a unique role. You're, Mm -hmm. You're your own boss. You've set your own schedule. And it's easy to slip into bad patterns and bad habits. And, and you really do have to be pretty diligent about how you spend your time if you want to maximize um, that for God's glory. So I started that. And then at the encouragement of some other 
folks, they, they said, why don't you expand it to, uh, to, you know, the stuff, what you're writing about is applicable to pretty much all Christians. And so I, I changed the name last spring, about a year ago. And yeah, the focus is basically on how, um, how not just to get things done, but to get them done um, in a way that honors God and, and thinking about um, productivity from a Christian standpoint. There's a lot of books and articles and things out there about productivity, but as, as I've read them and, and I really love that kind of stuff, but one of the things I've noticed is just so much of it comes from just unbiblical worldview. You know, the motivations they present are wrong. Like you, you want to get rich, you want to get a promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, their understandings of, of our purpose as people is wrong. Like they don't even, obviously they don't understand that, the, you know, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So mm-hmm. that's going to shape everything that comes out of it. It's a bad philosophy. Right. Um, so I've tried to, with the blog kind of, do every other post. I kind of try to split it between like kind of think pieces on like what it means to be a Christian who, who's, who's productive, who's trying to get things done and then kind of practical how to stuff, you know, like I just wrote something on how to, how to avoid getting junk mail in your, in your, um, in your uh, <laughs> house mail. So I try to go back and forth there. I need to read that article cause I have a lot of junk mail, both in my email and <laughs> to my house. <laughs> it's it's the consequence of the fall, I think. <laughs> okay, so we want to talk to you about an article that you wrote called The Wretched Art of Loveless Discernment. Esther and I both were really convicted by your article, absolutely loved it. And immediately after we read it, we knew that we wanted to interview you because we think it will benefit a lot of people. So why did you write this article and what does the title mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this one, uh, it's, it's personal for me. So I'll give you a little bit of backstory too. Um, but, but first, you know, discernment, as the title suggests, it's like, and you guys know this, it's this important but like super often neglected discipline in the church okay. today. Um, it feels like a lot of evangelical churches, they're kind of content basically to accept anything as long as someone somewhere has said that it's Christian, you know, whether it's Christian radio or the bookstores or whatever, as long as someone's saying it's Christian, it's okay. Um, and so people just don't practice discernment. Um, but for me, I, am I became interested. I think a lot of people are interested in discernment kind of have, uh, a backstory, you know, about (laughs) they were probably deceived or caught up in something. And for me, uh, it was the emerging church, um, in like the mid two thousands. I, I became a part of that. If you guys remember that, um, Mm -hmm. I was at the church of a, a guy named Rob Bell for several years and I was just, I bought it all like a climate sinker, like, you know, and, and basically week after week, it, it just undermined the Bible, um, undermined, um, the, the truth, uh, it was all just postmodern garbage. You know, you can't really know yeah. anything for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of led me to a, a bit of a crisis of faith. I, I call it my epistemological lobotomy because <laughs> <laughs> basically I got so twisted up in knots, like not understanding how you could know something that's true. Cause I had no foundation for truth. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. have, I had been going week after week and hearing the word of God undermine. And so I didn't think you could really know anything. It was like those stupid philosophical questions where you're like, how can mm. I know I exist? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was actually the work of, you know, discerning folks like on the internet that showed me kind of, you know, I was, rec- I was trying to figure out like, okay, no, I, once I realized something was wrong, I, I couldn't pinpoint it. And so I was looking up stuff and I, stumbled across people who were writing about that movement. And one of them actually was, was Phil Johnson, who's my, my boss's boss at Grace to You. So it's kind of a cool thing that came full circle. But, um, you know, that helped me land, come completely out of that movement and kind of land back on the foundation, the solid foundation of God's word. Um, and what I appreciated was that these were people that were bold enough to call it like they saw it. The, um, even if people and people often were like really mean and rude and would lash out in response to them saying, Hey, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. Um, So coming out of that, you know, obviously I, I realized discernment is important and and I wanted to help people too. And so I I got interested in that and um, started following all of the, I think what we call like discernment ministry. So some of these discernment ministries, you know, uh, were worse than others. Some were good and, and some, there just was kind of this, uh, 
uh, taint to them that mm-hmm. just didn't sit right with me. And so I started to see that some of them, they made polemics and discernment and arguing. That was like their only goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they ended up talking about the people that ostensibly they were trying to help as though they were morons, you know, like really very dismissive, condescending mm-hmm. to people um, who were honestly, I thought were asking legitimate questions. And so during this, I, I had begun coming out of the, the emerging church movement and then getting into discernment stuff. I had begun um, teaching college students. So I, uh, I began working in campus ministry and then later I was a college pastor of a church um, back in Michigan. And uh, I had got really into John MacArthur's ministry and uh, ended up that, that brought me out here to California to study at the seminary. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I noticed was, so like, you know, anybody who's interested in discernment ministries knows the name John MacArthur, because mm-hmm. like, he's been, he's been preaching teaching for 50 years, and he is no stranger to like controversies. Yeah. Um, and so from afar, it kind of looked, it looked like he was one of these people who, who would, you know, uh, was always like itching for a fight. But when I got up close, and I was sitting under his ministry week after week after week, what I realized is, all that I was seeing from afar, you know, in like the YouTube culture was 50 years of ministry distilled down to like some of the more exciting points of it. But <laughs> week after week, after year, after year, he is just teaching God's word. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a very, uh, it, this is like kind of a crude way to put it, but it's a very positive ministry. You know, it's not, it's, it's rare for him to actually go out and say something and he doesn't, and he does it with reluctance and he only does it when, um, something actually needs to be addressed. Yeah. Um, and so I saw, saw, seen that at close, seen his driving impulse was like, obviously love for people, love for truth, ultimately love for God. Um, but I, I think what it, that kind of gave me this, um, this contrast, because I think some people who think that they're mimicking that or, or acting in the same way and being discerning, uh, are not necessarily driven by those same um, impulses. Um, but maybe more so a love for controversy, a love for argumentation. And, and that's obviously, I started seeing that in myself as mm-hmm. well. Um, that tendency to, you know, as soon as you get in it, into it with somebody, uh, it becomes personal. And it's more about like, can I, can I win a fight? Then can I, can I win the person? Uh, so yeah, that's, I wrote this article basic for people like me, people who, who um, wanted to examine themselves, have a heart check. They're interested in a discernment, but maybe, um, uh, needed a little heart check to, to think through why am I doing this? What are the right motivations? Yeah. I mean, it's so easy to fall, fall into sin in this area because the temptation is just, I mean, yeah, it's really difficult because I've been, I guess you could say debating and arguing online for five years and it's kind of reached a pinnacle in my life where it's, I don't know, it, I have to do a heart check <laughs> because it's, it's gotten to a point where I feel like negative things have grown out of my interactions online, even though my intentions, I, I feel that they are good, but yet they're still stained by sin. And so I still behave in a way that is antithetical to the Christian walk and how we should conduct ourselves. And I don't know if Esther feels the same way, but that's kind of how I feel in my own walk. Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Too. I think, I think sometimes we try and brush it off and, and say, oh, it's just part of, you know, like the the cage stage. But I think that that's still not even, that's not an excuse, you know? Oh, yeah. No, totally. <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the things I kept seeing too, and that was one of the things that motivated me to write this, is you kind of either got it, what, you kind of have articles and, and things about from one side or the other. One, they're saying, no, we need to speak the truth. And other people were like, yeah, but speak the truth in love, which means not speaking the truth as much, guys, just be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> and so I wanted to do something that kind of like affirmed discernment as a good thing, but still kind of, you know, calling us out as an insider, you know what I mean? Right. It's, re- it's really hard to find balance because when I came out, I came out of more of the, you just got to love, you just got to love where truth kind of gets placed underneath a basket and nobody talks about it. And it's not offensive because it's not being brought up. And when we left our previous church, I kind of got catapulted into the reformed online community kind of a thing. And I started to pick up really bad behaviors because I was looking at everyone else who loves 
it appears that they love discernment and they love God's word. And so they're doing a lot of debating and arguing for the faith. And I, I didn't realize at the time that I was picking up a lot of really bad, bad behaviors. And so now I'm just kind of at the point in my life where I'm like, wow, like I didn't realize even just other people, the way that they engage also have influenced me not to make it as an excuse. I'm responsible for my own sin, but just kind of, I do feel like your article just really helped to be like, okay, this applies to me as well. And how can I fix it? And what do I need to do? So. Right. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So Reagan, do you think that, um, we have maybe become too quick to call people false teachers and is it always wrong to call it as we see it, so to speak? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I think, I think it's interesting. I think some people are too quick to call people false teachers and some people are too slow. You know, you kind of see <laughs> both ends of that. I think there are people, um, you know, like some of the churches, it sounds like we have come out of who, um, you, you could show them a video of a pastor like teaching salvation by works while sacrificing a pig to Satan. And they'd call you judgmental and arrogant for saying their fault. You know what I mean? They'd be yeah. way too <laughs> Like you would never, ever call someone a false teacher. How dare you? But, uh, I think that, you know, it's like anything in life, the pendulum, you know, you, you come out of that and then you're like, okay, maybe everyone's a false teacher. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's, you, you hit the nail on the head in, inside of the reform community, you know, and the theologically conservative people, um, there, there maybe is a bit of overzealousness to slap the label on someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, I think the, if you look at the Bible's teaching on false teachers, if you take it seriously, I think it actually solves both problems, both being too quick and too slow. Because, you know, when you see the, the danger and, and how severe the condemnation is for um, false teachers in the New Testament, we'd be like so much more wary and less forgiving of error in our teachers. If we, we saw how bad it was, how it leads people to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, but also if we noted how serious the condemnation is for those who do teach false gospel, we wouldn't use it like that label super recklessly because basically, basically, you know, to anathematize someone, a false yeah. teacher, you know, they're teaching damnable heresy, you know, they, they should be condemned. Um, right. So, so I think if, yeah, if someone is teaching a false gospel, which sends people to hell, obviously the most loving, the right thing for you to do is to warn people about that and to mm-hmm. do it vocally and, and loudly and, you know, turn them back from destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I think sometimes people worry that they're being mean to the false teachers, which I think is funny, you know, like what if they just don't know better? Maybe they're like, maybe they're sincere or maybe they're not really nefarious. They're just confused or something. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you look at James, you know, not many of you should become teachers because there's a stricter judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, the people who presume to teach God's word, um, that, that's a major thing that they have, no one's thrust that upon them. They have taken that on themselves with all of the, um, the seriousness of it. And if they're leading people astray, we, we do need to call, call it like we see it and say, yeah, this is a false teacher. This person will lead you to hell, but there, there's no, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but doing that hastily with people that aren't even necessarily teaching a false gospel, you just kind of disagree like with them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't like them. Yeah, exactly. Or they teach something that you disagree with. You know, maybe they're wrong on it, but they're not necessarily teaching like a soul damning doctrine. I wouldn't call that. Per- I might call them an untrust. There's a lot of people that I put in the category of like, yeah, I'm not going to recommend this person. I don't yeah. think they're trustworthy, but I'm not going to call them a false teacher, you know? Yeah. Or I mean, even you can disagree with other people and still have unity with them. I mean, because we would disagree with some different aspects of um, John MacArthur's ministry, but in no way do we believe that he's a false teacher and I would never not recommend him. <laughs> right. So there's, there's so many different degrees of like, you can disagree with people on some small secondary issues and still have unity with them. You can disagree on more major secondary issues, maybe like baptism or um, ecclesiology, but the, the essentials, once you start to creep into the gospel and who God is in the Christian faith, that's when, you need to start being bold and be willing to call something false for the protection of yourself and other people. Because if no one was speaking out against Rob Bell when you were in the emergent church 
or even cautioning people about it, mm-hmm. would you have stayed or could we, I mean, of course we can trust that the Holy Spirit will sanctify you by his word and Lord willing would have brought you out anyways, but would it have taken longer? I mean, there's so many right. yeah. questions that you have to ask of, especially when you do speak out against things like, is it best for me to remain silent or should I speak up because there are people who could potentially go to hell over this. And so it's really difficult to navigate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Reagan, what are some of the, the wrong attitudes that you've seen and that you mentioned in your article? Yeah. Yeah. I think that the biggest thing like behind all of it, I guess behind all it's pride, you know, Um, I I do think, I mean, maybe I'm like projecting for myself, but I I would, I think it'd be charitable to say, I think most people who get interested in discernment, they start from like really good motives and good reason, you know, like they really do like, because it's a crazy thing to go and want to take the beating that you get by telling people that they're (laughs) wrong, you know? (laughs) So I think people start out and, and they want they, they may have come out of something bad themselves and they've been deceived for a while and they realize, hey, someone needs to warn other people. Yeah. Um, but I think what happens is you get, you guys have seen it, you get this constant and often it's like really vicious pushback mm-hmm. um, when, you, when you say, hey, this is wrong. And you kind of understand it because like, you know, I was this, when I was in the emergent church, when someone would point out issues with it, like, I took that personally. Why? Yeah. Because I believed those things. It yeah. was like part of me. And so it's like a really painful thing to have someone pick at something that you take so personally. Yep. And then I think it works both ways because then I feel offended if I'm the person who's, you know, deceived. And then I'm going to go after you because you're offending me. And then if you're the person who is uh, <laughs> pointing out the error, you feel offended because now that you're being attacked personally. And so you get defensive, right? And when you get defensive, the reason you get defensive is because uh, of pride, you know, they've offended and, um, you kind of want to hurt them back or you want to, you want to win now. Now this is personal, you know, it's not about the truth. It's not about rescuing that person. It's not about honoring God. It's about, I need to win this fight. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've reaped the benefits of people just being so patient with me for things that I was in serious error for. I mean, I have come out of various different errors and have been in so many unhealthy churches over the years. And I've never had my own personal experience with the people that are in my circles and my friends. They've always been so patient when correcting me and so loving that I never really experienced a lot of loveless discernment. I experienced a lot of loving discernment. Mm -hmm. And I do think that kind of helps in my own interactions with people who are caught in a really serious snare to be like, I've been there. Like I'm not, I'm not judging you on the basis of your own folly or whatever, because God sanctifies us in, in different ways at different speeds at different times. But I've been there and I want to also help you see how this is error. And I do think it kind of helps me slow down, but it, I do totally agree that it's pride because I personally have, um, what's the word, a tendency towards um, pride, I think in a more like that's a more profound sin in my life than other sins. And you really do have to pause and be like, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for God's glory? And even if your motives are pure, they're still stained by sin. So you have to constantly, constantly, constantly look at your motives and ask the same question over and over. Like, am I, am I representing this? Well, am I, am I learning everything that I need to know to argue this? Am I missing something? I mean, yeah, I'm kind of rambling because you're making me think a lot of things, about a lot of yeah, things. Totally. totally. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. It's hard. You know, our hearts are, are, are um, you know, deceitful and desperately wicked. Right? Like trying to figure out the motivations of your heart. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like cutting the Gordian knot. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. All right. So in kind of in contrast to that, what do you see as like a right attitude and behavior that we can try to show when we're exercising discernment and speaking against false teachers? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It just, it goes back to um, Ephesians, you know, speaking the truth in love. It's, it's not about me. Pride is all about me. Love is all about others. It's about um, primarily uh, the motivating love, I think is love for God and love for his truth. Like, you know, Psalm 69, 9 says, for zeal for your house has consumed me and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. 
Like when, when we see our Lord insulted and maligned and his truth misrepresented, like we feel it personally, you know? Mm-hmm, so, right. so love motivates us to speak, but, but also love for, for the church, you know, love for Christ's bride, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, that we don't want to see them deceived. We, we want to see the church pure. Mm-hmm. Um, we, and, and, and also obviously love for the lost. We don't want to see people um, being, you know, marched off to hell following some Pied Piper false teacher. Mm-hmm. We, we want to pull them back. And so I think that's got to, that has to be the thing that drives our discernment. Um, it's got to drive us not only to, to speak up, but also to humbly take the lumps that, you know, come in return for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the hard part. You know, people often ask like, well, if I, if I tell the, this person that, you know, people, when I was doing college ministry stuff, people come to me, my, my friend is like, thinks this is true, but like, I know it's not, how do I approach it without them thinking I'm judgmental? You know, like that's mm-hmm. always the big question. Um, but sometimes like you know, love helps you to approach it that way. And, and it helps you even practically to win people over when they see you actually care and not that you're coming with a hammer. But a lot of times, no matter what you do, people are going to respond poorly to it. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just think it's analogous to like, if you, it's cliche, but like someone, you had a family member, someone you loved in a burning building and mm-hmm. they're like unaware of the danger and you ran in and you like woke them up and like, we're trying to carry them out and they just started punching you and beating on you because they're like, why did you wake me up? Like, I'm fine. Um, would you like, how would you respond to that? Would you get mad and just dump them and say, fine, burn? No, <laughs> no. no, because it's love that's driving you. You don't, you're, you're going to take the pain even from the person you're trying to help. Um, if it means that you're able to help them, that doesn't, that's, you're not going to do that. If it's pride. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're like yeah. trying to get back at them. You're just trying to, to win them. You're trying to win against them, not win them. So yeah. I, I think that's the big thing. It's gotta be love that drives us. I think another, that analogy kind of reminds me of like, if you saw a burning building and you knew that your loved one was in there, you wouldn't stand there and think like, Oh, should I go in there? You would just go in there. And I've kind of found myself, it's more difficult for me to warn people who I love or I'm close to. I really struggle with that. I'm, I'm like, I could call out anything of a stranger and I have no problems doing that. But when it's someone who you really love, now you have something that you could lose Mm -hmm. because they could, they could cut off a friendship with you. I've had that happen to me or you could really upset them. But in that same analogy, if you're standing outside a burning building and you know that like you have a loved one in the house, you're not going to stand there and consider it. You're just going to go. And I think that's a good encouragement to be like, what, what is driving you? It should be love and love would, what, where does it, no greater love than this than to lay down your life for a friend. So you go in the building and if you die, you die. (laughs) Not that you're going (laughs) to die in doing discernment, but (laughs) taking that. But you could lose, you could lose a lot. Yeah. You could lose relationships and yeah, no, it's true. It, it is. It's not easy. Certainly not. But yeah, no, well said. L- love has to be the motivation there. Reagan, how do we know if we're being haughty and seeking to expose people for our own enjoyment? Yeah, you know, it's, it's that, that heart thing. Like only really you can know that. Um, and it's one of those things I think we need to be self-reflective about. Um, I, I would say, I think that if you, <laughs> if you find yourself like really um, enjoying the fight, you know, kind of smiling when you win an argument or mocking and like gossiping about the people who you're kind of arguing with other people, you know, you're talking to other people you agree with and, um, you know, worst of all, acting like you're like this genius and, and everyone else is a dummy. You figured it all out and everyone else is just this moron for being deceived. Like how does, that doesn't honor God. Um, especially for people, you know, we believe we've been saved by, by grace through faith. Like I, (laughs) how do I become prideful after that? You know, especially like reformed Christians, like how on earth, like, could there be anything more, um, antithetical to the reformed faith than to be like arrogant? It's just ridiculous. Yeah. So so I think you, you have to check your own heart and you have to kind of like be reflective and just think about like, wait, why, why am I having so much fun right now? Yeah. And I think we already kind of asked this question, but how should we speak truth? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's that Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Um, and I think, and I want to emphasize this with that. Like I had mentioned earlier, people kind of will, will say, well, they'll emphasize the speak the truth or they'll emphasize the, the um, you know, speak in love and meaning like 
do less truth. But like, this is not talking about a ratio. This isn't like one part truth to one part love. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the action of speaking truth coupled with the attitude of doing that in love. The way yeah. in which I speak the truth is, is, you know, is with that gentleness, with that humility, with that love that comes um, because I care about the person I'm talking to. So like the last thing I would want is for people to, to read that article and to think, yeah, you know, like feel convicted about it. I think obviously we should feel convicted if we're being discerning in pride, but to turn around and be like, yeah, I should be less discerning. I, I should talk less about these issues. I should just like keep my mouth shut from now on. You know, like that's not the point. The, the point is we, if we're doing it from a bad attitude, we just need to, to change that and make sure it's coming from the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, not to give up completely on pointing out error. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good words. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what would you say Reagan is the, the difference between uh, gossip and facts about a person that might reveal something negative, but is still true. What would be like the, the, the difference there and when should we keep quiet and when should we speak up? Yeah. I think in a lot of ways it's the same thing. You know, it's the, the attitude with, mm-hmm. with that. Like, in fact, when you see gossip right in the new Testament, like in second Corinthians 12 talks about and Romans one talks about it. It shows up alongside other words like malicious or slander or envy or jealousy, you know, mm-hmm. it's gossip, like biblically defined gossip, isn't just talking behind someone's back. Like we say that as a shorthand, like talking about someone behind someone's back, but it's talking behind someone's back with the intent to harm them, to like, to, to um, say something bad about them, to bring, um, you know, something bad on their reputation. And, and that's why like the new Testament principle, right. For, for approaching sinning brothers and sisters, like Matthew 18, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, keep it as small as possible. So mm-hmm. I, I think that when you, obviously there, there's times when something comes up in, in the life of someone who you, you know, that there's an issue there. Like say, say we're talking about false teaching or say it's a sin issue, right? Matthew 18 says, okay, keep it small. Like go to them one-on-one first. And mm-hmm. the point is that you don't just drag everybody into this thing and make this per- and just ruin this person's reputation or slander them because of a misunderstanding or something, you know, give them a chance to repent first. But like, obviously like in the second stage of like Matthew 18, where you bring two or three witnesses, like there has to be to go and tell those people, Hey, you need to come talk with this person with me. At that point, you have to talk about the person behind their back, but, but the different, you know, to tell those people like, Hey, yeah. here's the issue the difference is you're not doing that to kind of like bring a piece of like salacious news. So people will be like, Ooh, who's got the scoop. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing it because you want to help that person. See right. So it's all about, yeah, you want to see them repent. You want to see them, you know, come, come back. Um, so if there's an issue I need help with and, and I've already tried it alone, then yeah, it's not gossip to go and grab one or two other people and to, to ask for them to help, you know, confront that person together and talk it through or even to talk, talk through that matter, you know, sensitively kind of maintaining the person's privacy um, early on with like an elder at your church who can, who can kind of give you some general advice. I have one more question because I feel like that really touches on local church stuff or even like friends in your community. But what about false teachers who you don't, you're not able to go to them one-on-one, you're not able to correct them or they've been corrected in the past. Um, is it gossip to tell other people like, Hey, this teacher is teaching these things and offer a caution. Like, when does it become, can it ever be gossip if you don't even know the person? Do you kind of know what I'm talking about? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't know if it would be gossip, but I suppose you could, um, you could be sinning in the way that you talk about like a false teacher, you know, if, if you're being malicious and you kind of like are just wanting to slander them and stuff. But it's, it's totally different principles for when you're dealing, I touched on this earlier with the James passage, but it's totally different principles for when you're dealing with a false teacher versus someone who has been deceived by false teaching. Mm-hmm. Like the false teachers are at a higher standard. They have a public platform um, and rebuking them in public isn't, isn't like your opportunity to grandstand and make yourself look good. The, the reason you're doing that publicly and openly is, is, because the issue there is not just that I'm helping that false teacher to repent, right? Obviously I want that, 
But the main issue is I'm trying to warn a group of people who have heard this public person talk publicly Mm -hmm. and and, and teach error. And, you know, I, I know we have examples of that, right? Like, like, um, Paul rebuking Peter very openly. He, there's no indication that he went and talked to him first when he was, um, you know, excluding the Gentiles. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's just different principles. You, you, you need to warn people about the teaching of a false uh, teacher. And, you know, they've, they've kind of brought that upon themselves. Okay. So, Reagan, um, why do you think that false teachers call those who speak against them divisive? Can you share with us maybe the true definition of division and divisive and what scripture has to say about that? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think, you know, with false teachers calling people divisive, like that's like such an awesome ploy, like so clever. It's such an easy way. <laughs> out, you know, it's Like, how dare you question me? You can't, you know, you're just trying to divide people. Um, you know, and they look at like, you know, touch not the Lord's anointed. Um, but obviously that doesn't apply. Paul, Paul commends the Bereans. He commends them for cross-examining his teaching, you know, to see if it was true. Like we are to question our, our, our teachers and make sure it's right. But what's so funny about the accusation of like divisiveness is like when you see that word in the New Testament, most of the context that comes up in are about the false teachers causing divisions in the yeah. church, like doctrinal division. Uh, Romans 16 and uh, verse 17, it says, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, avoid them. So he says the divisive person is the false teacher, but there are places where I think like we have to be, uh, you know, careful ourselves. Cause I think the like Titus three makes a reference to, um, you know, the, the person who's like storing, storing up foolish controversies going on about genealogies and stuff. And Paul says, warn that person once and then I'm not going to do with them. I think that person is not like, I think he is talking about the discernment ministry type person there. Like that, that totally fits the, uh, fits the bill. Um, somebody who just gets fixated on some issue and uses it to divide people, you know, just yeah. loving drama and like wants to find ways to stir it up. So that, that's different than someone who, who wants to, you know, confront real error in the church. Um, but again, it just, it all goes back to attitude and motivation there. But yeah, the, the divisive thing, it's just, it's just silly. Like we're, we're taught over and over again in the New Testament to, uh, we're warned about false teachers. And so like for, for them to, you know, pretend that like, oh no, you should never question a teacher. Like it's the most ridiculous thing ever. Um, I was just going to say, um, what, what comes to mind with divisive to me is like, certain discernment ministries or individuals who will like try and make this lengthy connection between, I've even seen it with people like MacArthur and John Piper, where they say one time back in this year, so-and-so went and had coffee with this person. And it's like, (laughs) what? I mean, you know, just that extreme and, and guilty by association one time. You have no idea. Like, and it's like not even one time. It's like, three times removed. It's like so-and-so has a connection here. And I feel like that's just, that's just crazy. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like this Illuminati type stuff. Like, you know, the <laughs> what's interesting about that, like historically is, you know, the, the fundamentalist movement in the early 20th century, it's that is the exact, exact thing that kind of like bifurcated that thing into a million different splinter cells. It was um, this third or second and third degree separation. That's how they would talk about it is, you know, it's not just I need to separate from this. I need to separate from anyone who is in any way, you know, connected to Kevin Bacon, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. Um, But it, yeah, it's, it's a little bit crazy. Yeah. So kind of moving on to something different, talking about some quotes in your article. Um, I pulled it up. I really like a quote that you said, just observe the difference in how our Lord dealt with the Pharisees versus the other people he came across. Jesus had a whip for false teachers, but he wept for the deceived. Will you kind of share what that means and why you wrote it? Yeah, absolutely. I think I started to touch on this a little bit ago, just that there there are two there are two groups that we're talking about when we're practicing discernment there are those who are who are propagating false teacher and those who are deceived and you see the example in jesus in the way that he approached the people whose job it was to teach the people 
who, who they were the teachers of the people. He was so harsh with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, mm-hmm. you know, you teachers of the law, all the woes and stuff. But people who believed that same stuff or, or even, um, you know, caught up in it, he was very gentle in how he talked to them. You see that, that um, difference. And I think you see the same thing in the apostles. Um, uh, there's, there's a tenderness for those who are deceived. You know, Jesus even said, uh, you know, they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. They need a teacher. That's why they're deceived, mm-hmm. a bad teacher. Yeah. So I, I think that that, that should um, color the way that we approach deceived people versus false teachers. We need to be patient and kind with those caught in deception and, and just be long-suffering and work with them to help them to see from Scripture the error. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you see some people that like, they're just they're like, it's like they have a, an automatic weapon. They're just shooting everybody. They're ready to anathematize grandma because she watches TVN. But like, <laughs> no, you, you, you approach her differently than you would like if you were caught in an elevator with Joel Osteen or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a good example. <laughs> <laughs> Reagan, I thought that you made some really important points in your article that discernment should be practiced with sorrow. Will you please explain what that means for our listeners and how we do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think it's just realizing that like it really stinks that people are deceived and deceiving. Like it's not, it's not something to be giddy about, you know, and to be like excited. Like, um, I don't know. I think some people treat it like there's another analogy I use that, that, uh, you know, when a rival sports team comes into town and you're kind of like, Oh, those stinkers, I'm going to get them. And it's going to be this great match. Like that's how people, (laughs) some people approach discernment stuff. Like they love it. They love the fight, but you know, we're not playing football here. This is about the eternal souls of men and women. And so I think we, we have to treat um, the opportunity uh, to stand up against false teaching um, with, with like a sorrow that like, man, this is like their souls on the line. People are going to hell. Like, um, and, and understand that practicing discernment, it's a hard and nasty job and it's, it's necessary, but it's not something to revel in. And I, I, I need to not take glee and delight in this. I, I need to do it um, with kind of a, almost a somberness that I'm trying to uh, rescue something, someone from something serious. Mm-hmm. This I'm going to read a Bible verse. Cause what you just said really reminds me of second Timothy two, two or two, 22 through 26. And it's saying, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels and the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And I feel like that verse really captures everything because it's not saying don't correct false teachers. Don't, like you should still correct people in gentleness is what it says, but we're also, we're not supposed to be engaging with foolish, ignorant controversies. So are you, you kind of have to ask like, are you motivated by controversy? Do you just like the fight? Kind of like what you were talking about earlier, or are you motivated by a sincere love for the other person and having sorrow that they're caught in a snare, hoping that the Lord will, will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Like this verse says, Mm, yeah, totally. We could have just read that verse and had a really short episode. <laughs> so good. It really does capture everything, doesn't it? It does. It does. Yeah. It's our last kind of question for you, Reagan. How, um, when we realize that we are, we, we've been involved in sin in this area of, of discernment and, you know, kind of lost track of, you know, having so much zeal that we get caught up in, not doing discernment correctly. How, what is, what does repentance look like in this area and how can we do discernment better? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think when you, you realize that there's a, there's a problem there and you're not, you're not doing it right. It's, it's like anything in the Christian life, you know, that turn to Christ, look, look at Christ, repent of your bad attitude, um, seek forgiveness and ask for his help that um, he would, he would motivate with a love for, um, for him, for people so that you would start doing that right. And then, you know, like I said in the article, just the way that you don't stop approaching discernment, don't stop doing it, 
but begin doing it with precision, you know, like where you're, where you're um, making those fine distinctions, you're, you're not misrepresenting people. Do it with humility where it's not about you. It's not about winning an argument. It's not about making somebody look bad and make yourself look good. And, you know, last, like we were just talking about, do it with sorrow, do it with an understanding that this, this is, you know, part of living in a fallen world with, with, uh, with an enemy who's out there um, who's seeking to deceive people. Like, um, I need to be somber and sorrowful in how I even approach this issue because I'm trying to help people. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. So realizing that, you know, when we're caught up in, in this sin, you know, we can turn, turn from it and not, not just to turn our backs on discernment and say, you know, I shouldn't do that, but instead to look at it and instead speaking truth and love mm-hmm. and realizing that if we've been caught up in that, that there's forgiveness in Christ and, and the whole reason why we're attempting to warn people of false teachers is because, you know, it's, it's a distortion of, of the gospel, the, yeah. the perfect work, the finished work of Jesus Christ, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And we should speak up whenever that is under attack. Um, but remembering that the purpose of us speaking up is to point people to the gospel. Yeah. Um, that's even for, for false teachers. I was really encouraged the other day when I read about a church that they watched the movie American Gospel. And instead of afterwards ranting about, you know, the false teachers that were in the movie, they just had an, an hour long prayer time for those false teachers in, in the film that it talks about. And I feel like that is, that's a really good picture of, of our attitude and our posture towards false teachers, uh, false teachings. Um, because there, I believe that there's a lot of false teachers who are fully convinced in what they're teaching and they just as much as, you know, the people watching them on TV need to be caught away and shown and exposed to the true gospel. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well said. I think it's also important for us, like when we do continue to exercise discernment and warn people about false teachers, like Esther and Reagan are both saying, like, make Jesus central, make the gospel central. And um, just remember, it reminds me of Romans 116 that um, the gospel is the power of God into salvation. Just remember, like, what are you putting your hope in to see people? Um, I mean, if they're believing a false gospel, you, you want to see them come to the knowledge of truth. And so just remember and rest in that, like God is sovereign. He regenerates hearts to faith. And so just be persistent in sharing the gospel and um, Lord willing, people will be granted repentance that leads to life. I mean, Esther and I have seen that um, with people that we have engaged with online in very dramatic ways come to truth because of what could be called, quote, discernment ministry or warning people against false teachers and just Reagan had said earlier being long suffering with people. I mean, there was a gal, uh, we did an interview with her, the ex Mormon, um, ex Mormon to Christianity, Josie, who I interviewed solo. She, I mean, I was very long suffering with her. I, we talked about the gospel and God and Christianity for almost a year before her eyes were open and you have to be patient and diligent Mm -hmm. and loving. And I never, treated Josie in a way where I was like trying to manipulate her or get her to believe the gospel. And I constantly told her like, if, if it's the Lord's will to save you, like you will understand the gospel, just keep wrestling with it. Keep reading the Bible, keep asking the Lord to reveal truth to you. I can't make you believe these things. And I'm not going to try to trick you to believe these things. Um, just be in the word of God and test everything that I'm saying. And she did for a very long time. And then I, I, I got to see the Lord save her. And so it's one of those things of like patient endurance and love and humility and kindness can can reap wonderful conversions to see people come to faith. And so I don't know, because that's ultimately what our our goal should be with discernment is that we want to see people come to faith. We want to see people believe in Jesus. And if we're just taking, taking a sword to them and cutting them in half and then walking away, that's not helpful. That's not loving. I mean, sometimes it calls for that if you have a short moment with them, but the gospel should be what, what you're focusing on because that's what saves people. And I mean, the Holy spirit uses the gospel to save people. So. Amen. Well said. Well, thank you so much, Reagan, for joining us on the show. We really appreciate your article and then your insight here with us. 
Well, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, we absolutely loved that you came on. Sorry it took so long. We asked you like five months ago to <laughs> do this with us. That's okay. I've just been staring at my baby, so <laughs> time flies. <laughs> Which is a wonderful gift. So really we, just, we just want to remind everyone that Reagan has a blog. It's called Redeeming Productivity. So go check that out. We'll link that in the show notes. We'll also link the article. We'd encourage everyone to read the article in full, uh, really meditate on some of the verses that he shares and um, reflect if, if you are practicing the wretched art of loveless discernment. And if you are, repent and turn to Jesus. So uh, we ask that you will like this episode, share it, comment on it, tell us if it's blessed you, if it's encouraged you. Um, and just as a reminder, Esther, you don't want to say anything else, correct, before I end? I'm good. You can go ahead. Reagan, are you good? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, thanks. Okay. And just as a reminder, we believe that everyone is a theologian and you are either a good one or a bad one. So our hope with our podcast is to stir in women a love for good theology and to encourage women in their faith as they walk in obedience and grow in holiness. So we want to remind everyone that our podcast is only a tool. It is not church and it does not replace discipleship. We encourage all of our listeners to find a local church and become a member. We have resources on our website for those who are seeking a church, and we are always happy to help anyone who is struggling to find a healthy church. You can email us at thebluestockingbaptist at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at the Blue Stocking Baptist or on Twitter at SheBaptists. We also have a Patreon if you'd like to support us financially. We want to end this episode with a verse, which we like to do with Ephesians 4. 15 through 16, which says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Thank you for joining us, ladies, and we hope that you join us next time. God bless. God bless.